0: Hey, everybody. Kevin Grossman here, president of Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards. We want you to join us for our annual Candy Awards virtual conference, Sustaining the Candy Continuity, on November 17th and 18th, where we'll celebrate improving recruiting, hiring, and the candidate experience, and, of course, the 2021 Candy Award winners. To learn more and register, go to talentboard.org. Now enjoy the podcast.
1: Yeah, so allies are individuals who champion egalitarian ideals and strive to promote inclusivity. So that kind of sounds like a definition that you can see fits a lot of behaviors. So a lot of things can be allyship, whether that's confronting a sexist comment or labeling an event that showed bias as sexist, or even behaviors like I study where there isn't really anything explicitly derogatory toward women. It's just the environment kind of signals that this is a place where women are not as valued. So just saying that that you care about gender equality can be a form of allyship.
0: You're listening to the Candy Shop Talk podcast brought to you by Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards Benchmark Research and hosted by Kevin W. Grossman. Talent Board is the first nonprofit research organization focused on elevating and promoting a quality candidate experience. The Candy Shop Talk podcast welcomes Charlotte Moser, social psychology PhD student at the University of Kansas, and the lead researcher on new research about the impact men can have as gender equality allies in the workplace. Listen in on how improving candidate experience impacts recruiting and the business bottom line. Charlotte, thank you so much for joining me on the Candy Shop Talk podcast. You are the lead author of some recent research on gender equality and allyship in the workplace, published in Social, Psychological and Personality Science. Now, before we dive into the rest of this show and talk more about that, you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do today.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Um, So I am a graduate student in the social psychology PhD program at the University of Kansas. I'm actually in my final year of the program. My research focuses broadly on gender, allyship, diversity, and intergroup relations. So I study the impact of allyship from men on women's sense of belonging in highly male-dominated contexts and how men perceive allies in these contexts. I also study the antecedents to allyship. So what makes men want to engage in allyship for gender equality, and I also study how men who act as allies are perceived by other men. So are they viewed positively? Do they set norms of equality that encourages other men to act as allies? And what are the mechanisms of what makes allyship work? Before KU, I did my undergraduate degrees at Iowa State University, where I primarily worked on research related to violent media and aggression.
0: Wow. I'm super excited to learn from you today. So I'm so glad that I'm having you on. Psychology was my undergrad major, and it was a direction that I was going to go into and that it didn't actually work out for me in the end, but I'm still very much a consumer of this kind of research and again, how the, the gender dynamics have play out historically as well as continue to play out both positively and negatively, unfortunately, in our society today. So I'm excited to learn more from you. So first of all, for those who are listening to this podcast, define allyship for us? And and how does that differ from other kinds of, of peer support? And I may not even be saying that right. And why is male allyship viewed as paternalistic? I kind of think I know the answer to that. And I, by the way, Charlotte, I'm inf- infamous at asking eight part questions. So you're going to have to Just, you know, tell me to slow down if that's the case. But tell us what allyship is, define that more.
1: Yeah, so allies are individuals who champion egalitarian ideals and strive to promote inclusivity. So that kind of sounds like a definition that you can see fits a lot of behaviors. So a lot of things can be allyship, whether that's confronting a sexist comment or labeling an event that showed bias as sexist or even behaviors like I study where there isn't really anything explicitly derogatory toward women. It's just the environment kind of signals that this is a place where women are not as valued. So just saying that you care about gender equality can be a form of allyship. So to answer the question of how it's different from other kinds of peer support, like friendship. So friendship, we've done some work comparing the two to just make sure it's not a guy who is talking a lot and saying nice things that's having this impact. What we find is women who are shown allies or who have an ally in their co-workers, in their uh, co-working group, are more likely to feel support and And anticipate respect than friends. Friends don't really communicate that. They are great for emotional support, like venting at the end of the day, but not really making change for gender equality or kind of pushing that gender equality within an area. So, and your question about paternalism, I get that question a lot. People will come up to me and say, well, isn't this kind of just reaffirming the notion that women need men's help? Or isn't this kind of just showing that the patriarchy is there for a reason because women need this and my response to that is first we've found that women don't view these allies as acting on paternalism or a need to protect women rather they view them as empowering figures they view them as someone who is going to kind of have their back and make it so that they are more likely to be respected within an environment second i also see allyship as more of a short-term solution so we know that a high representation of women within stereotypically male settings and female role models lead to better retention of women in these spaces. But not all workplaces have these, so most male-dominated workplaces don't have high representation of women, they probably are not likely going to be able to fire half their men and bring on 50% more women, or they don't have a woman who can act as a role model. So we know that men are very overrepresented in these spaces. Why not see how they can help to increase women's interest in retention using the environment as it is now? So how can they leverage their privilege to help women? Then if more women end up staying at these workplaces because they feel more welcome and more confident in these workplaces, there can be role models for incoming women or more gender diversity eventually.
0: And that's totally what goes hand in hand, right? That's the inclusion that we've been talking a lot more about over the past year and that companies, I think, hopefully more have been paying attention to as a certain degree. My wife and I have been watching, there's a documentary on Netflix right now about the film and TV industry and women um, and how they've been treated and you know locked out of parts over the years. It's fascinating. A lot of different actresses and directors that are female and people that are in the industry talking about a lot of what you're talking about, unfortunately, a very male dominated industry that hasn't been inclusive to women in, in that. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I think it's important to note this is across, can be across workplaces and in industries too, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So let me jump to, to something else, because one of the things that as part of the research that you had done, while many existing allyship studies, they, they focus on responses to events like, you know, misogynistic comments or hiring decisions, your research shows that people do not need to wait for something overtly sexist to happen in order to be an effective ally, which I agree with, and I have tried to live my life that way too um, for many years now. But So tell us what you mean by that and more about the research methodology and, and the various studies that were conducted.
1: Yeah, that is a great question. So my work examines, like you said, situations that aren't overtly sexist, but still send cues that masculinity is the default and is prioritized. And this signals to women that they may not be as valued within an organization. There's really great work that shows that we We receive cues from multiple sources in our our environments that we use to gauge our sense of belonging. So these can be things like the demographics of an organization, whether there's low representation of your gender, or whether uh, the physical space you're in displays as highly masculine. These are things that can signal to women that they might not feel welcome or included in that space. So I think it's really important to study these areas because many tech and STEM workforces on the surface may seem fine. There's maybe not people who are saying overtly sexist things or really clear examples of bias, but these organizations can still inadvertently send these signals that they prioritize men and masculinity. So your question about research methodology, to study this, we usually ask, Women to act as if they are going through the process of applying for a job in chemistry. So they first read a brochure about the organization and then are given a slideshow of their coworkers. The slideshow shows a picture of the coworker and a little blurb about each person that's ostensibly written by the coworker themselves. And then to see the impact of an ally, we then randomly assign women to view an ally among their co-workers or not view an ally. So the ally in their blurb about themselves says something along the lines of, I really care about gender equality. And if you work here, I promise you can count on me to be your ally. So after they go through those introductions to their new colleagues, uh, they fill out a survey about their opinions of the workplace and how they would feel working there. And what we find over and over is that women who know an ally is present among their coworkers, they feel less isolated. They feel less likely to experience workplace harassment or hostility, and they're more likely to anticipate respect and support from their colleagues. And we find that women expect gender equality to be more normative when that ally is present. So we've conducted quite a few versions of this paradigm where we've looked at how allyship compares to other cues that signal that women may be valued within an organization such as equal gender representation. We've also examined how allyship compares to common ways that organizations may signal egalitarian views like diversity signals or diversity statements. And we've also looked at how different demographics of either the women themselves or the ally impact the effectiveness of these allies.
0: Let me ask you something real quick. We're we're going to continue to kind of Move toward what people who are in charge of recruiting and hiring what there's what more that they can do as well. But obviously, it's sounding like based on what you just outlined, when allyship is apparent to women, uh, even if it's one individual or ten, and whether they're currently working for the organization or not, again, that gives more of a sense of inclusion and belonging, right, for them to feel like okay, somebody is gonna treat me as a person. <laughs> and an equal yeah and an equal and and so that i feel like this may be the right you know atmosphere culture for me whatever you want to call it at the end of the day now you did also some work in the research of looking at also uh, people of color women of color as well right so and and again the whole idea about feeling safe at work and a sense of belonging which is is super critical for women and people of color and, and marginalized groups we've known this i think we've known this for a long time but i mean that's really the case but you what's interesting though is that you found no differences in black or white women's responses to allyship from either a black or white man so tell us more about that part of the research that you did
1: yeah so that finding was actually pretty surprising to me because previous work has shown that allies with shared racial identity are more impactful to women of color and that exposure to similarly stereotyped individuals who have expertise in an organization actually boosts women's performance. So we went into this thinking that it could be that allies who have a shared racial identity will be more impactful than an ally of a different race, or that it could be that simply having an ally who is a man and so a member of the dominant group in STEM would be sufficient to make both white and black women uh, feel that they would be valued within the environment. And that's what we found. We found no differences between white and black women's responses to either white or black male allies. It was just that having an ally who was a man was helpful. One Caveat to this is that the racial demographics of the work group that the women were shown was they were relatively diverse. All participants saw two white men and two black men among their coworkers. So really, they were shown uh, gender underrepresentation, but not racial underrepresentation. So it's very possible that in places where black women are both underrepresented by their gender group membership and their racial group membership, that a white male ally might not have the same impact as a black male ally that's maybe when that would be more impactful.
0: Interesting. Do you know of any other research that's been done that would have validated that?
1: Off the top of my head, no. There is some great work looking at like mentorship of women of color. And in those cases, they do find that racial group membership is really powerful. Having a shared racial group membership for having those women of color feel interested in those organizations or those classes if it's undergraduate students, but I'm not off the top of my head. I'm not totally sure.
0: Got it. But I think that, again, this is just another important point around, again, making women, whether they're white women or women of color or black, whatever the case is, of feeling, again, more of a feeling safe in a sense of belonging. And again, as an equal in the workplace, based on what you found. Something else that I wanted to, to touch on, you also found that allyship is in a male dominated workplace, is effective for women, for example, in technology and we know that technology doesn't have a great track record of diversity and gender diversity, as well as people of color, especially when the ally is male. But while the female ally was perceived as championing gender equality, this did not reduce expectations of workplace hostility or isolation. What does that mean?
1: Yeah. So in those studies, we had participants, women see either a male ally, a woman ally, or no ally among their coworkers. And really what we found was that the woman ally was not any better than not having an ally at all. Even though they were seen as being champions for gender equality, it didn't have those downstream positive effects. And we've done some studies to look at why that is. And what we find is really that men are perceived as influential within these male-dominated organizations, not necessarily in a hierarchical sense or a status sense, because we always have women view colleagues who are ostensibly the same position or similar position to them. It's not like a boss or something, but they are seen as having a lot of influence over the opinions of the other coworkers at the organization. So that is kind of the mechanism that allows these men within masculine environments to be very good allies. And there's also work that shows that men are more likely to take confrontations against sexism seriously when they're delivered by men than women. In fact, women who speak out against sexism or confront sexism are often seen as complainers or whiners, where men are perceived pretty positively. So again, it's leveraging that privilege they have in these environments where they kind of have an in with that group being a man. So so those men are more likely to listen to them.
0: Which is, uh, well, which is unfortunate uh, because considering, the, I mean, it is. Well, considering that a lot of the times and different data that I've seen, and w- women can deliver toxicity in the workplace too to other women and men, but it's still the incidence of workplace harassment and hostility still primarily comes from men being the perpetrators and at at the data that I've seen and the research. Do you think that more, and again, this is, you know, this may not even be something that you've had in your body of research that you've done, today, but do you think that having more women in leadership positions across an organization can help make a difference across the organization for, again, having more of an inclusive belonging environment, especially for other women, but for other marginalized groups too? What what do you think about that?
1: Oh, absolutely. There's really great work that looks at role models. And I think that would be a really great example of a role model. So someone that incoming employees or employees who are there already, can kind of look up to and aspire to be like and identify with. And when women have those role models or people that they can look up to, they're much more likely to be retained in organizations and keep interest in those, those topics, especially like STEM and tech. And there's also interesting work about how gender equality messages are framed. So if they're framed as, you know, a women's issue, then a lot of times men just kind of stop paying attention regardless of the status of the speaker, especially when the person's a woman. But when gender inequality is framed as an issue for everyone, so more of a common cause framing that we all need to work against gender inequality, men do listen a little bit more to female leaders when that occurs and male leaders too. So like sending messages that, hey, you have stake in this as well. You know, men in a lot of organizations don't have paternal leave or men are more likely to have mental health issues because of the really harsh gender role that they have to live in. So it's really not just about women and when that's emphasized too, men are more likely to engage in allyship behaviors or collective action for gender equality.
0: Excellent. You know, and, and then throw in a pandemic, just screw everything up even further. Unfortunately, the millions of women that left the workforce this last year, and even with some returning now with hiring, really ramping, which is great, but frenetically in a way too, for a lot of organizations today. I mean, we're, we're again, we're, we're in a place, I keep talking to talent acquisition and HR leaders and their teams that have been doing this work for 15, 20 plus years. They've never seen an environment like this that we're in today. But tying it into what you have found then, what I wanted to leave everybody with is based on your research and what you found, what should and what can actually how can HR and recruiting leaders and their teams encourage more balanced gender allyship in hiring and retention, not only for prospective candidates, but also for their current employees? What are some things based on what we've already talked about today that you would recommend?
1: I think really encouraging current men within an organization to call out sexist things or voice their support gender equality or amplify women's contributions can be really impactful, you know, emphasizing to men that they have a lot of privilege and sway in these environments, and it's important that they use it. I would also say that organizations need to follow through with allyship and diversity efforts. So it's one thing to say, oh, I'll be your ally, but you need to follow through with that. It needs to be sincere. Or it's one thing for an organization to have a diversity statement, but are you actually enacting policies to increase diversity? or show that people of marginalized groups are going to be valued and accepted in those spaces. And again, kind of getting buy-in from men to emphasize that it's not just for women, it's helpful for everybody. I think those are things that can be good ways to increase allyship within organizations. And then when you have people who are willing to act as those allies or you have those diversity structures, then communicating that on the front end can really lead people to view an organization as higher esteem, they are more likely to view it positively, but especially when they're sincere. So when there's follow-through with it, that's a huge part of that being impactful.
0: Absolutely. And, and not only encouraging it, but investing time and resources to sustain it over time. That's one of the things that we found that we talk about a lot in, in the candidate experience research that we do, that companies who have made improvements in their recruiting and hiring process and, and have created a more positive, experience and a higher level of perceived fairness, which is always critical and key. And I think that totally overlaps into what you've been talking about, too, that the hardest thing that we've seen for companies is to sustain that level over time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And your point, too, about procedural justice and fairness, that is also huge. And we've done some work examining those aspects, too, When we do find allyship to be impactful for that. But yeah, also that it can't just be a one-off thing. There's a paper that was recently out that calls it counterfeit diversity, where you're saying you want to do all of this work for women or work for marginalized groups, but that needs to be a sustained thing. It can't just be, oh, we did a diversity training once with no follow through.
0: Exactly, or a sexual harassment training, or uh, I mean, the the list goes on and on. Then you morph into an old episode of The Office, unfortunately. So listen, Charlotte, thank you so much for being on the podcast. The last thing I always like to ask my guests, because we're always working all the time, work, work, work work work. It's always about work. But besides this research that you're doing and your graduate work and and what else does Charlotte like to do?
1: I love reading. I am getting close to my goal of 100 books this year. I love reading. That's what I do in my free time. I also, I don't know if you can hear my cat screaming in the background, but I love no, spending I don't, time actually. Okay, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I love spending time with my my cats and I am I really like painting. So those are some of my My hobbies.
0: Oh, very nice. Well, thanks for sharing. That's great. My wife and I are avid readers too, but not... We're not on that hundred bookmark, so but so good, Honestly, for, so good for you.
1: Probably an unhealthy amount of books, so.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. There's no, no. I would argue there's no such thing as an unhealthy amount of books. But we also read a lot with our two daughters too, So and they're they're readers as well. And so that I think that's important, kind of you know fam- familial culture to establish too when it comes to that. Listen, Charlotte, thanks again for being on the Candy Shop Talk podcast. Maybe one of these days we can be in person, but I appreciate you doing it today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having. Me. This was great to get a chance to talk with you.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Candy Shop Talk podcast. For more information about Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards and Benchmark Research, visit www.thetalentboard.org.